Well, like Pastor Andrew said, it's great to see everybody. It's great to kick off 2021 with you. Um, I hope that you had a good start to your new year, and I hope that things are going well. We are super excited to see you. Whether you are in the room or you're joining us online, it's just great to be here with you. And thank you for braving the elements today. It got a little dicey out there, didn't it? We, uh, I was on my drive in, and Pastor Andrew and I were, we were, I was talking on speakerphone. I was not texting him while I drove, but it was getting interesting. And we, it was back to Morgantown and toward Pottstown. It was even worse. So I was glad to see it was better out here. Uh, but it's good to see you. My name's Corey, by the way, if we haven't met, and I have the honor and privilege of being the lead pastor here. Uh, I'm just super excited to kick off today with you. We are obviously in a new year, like we said, but we are also starting a brand new sermon series. So we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about the topic that is on the banner behind me, and that is Imago Day. And what does that mean? It means the image of God. And so we're going to start this year talking about what it means to be made in the image of God. What does that mean for me as a person or you as a person? What does it mean in the way that we look at other people? What does it mean for the way that we see the world? And we're going to dig into this from a bunch of different angles. And we thought that that would be a great way to kind of start off this year together. Now, a warning about today, because we're starting a new series, sometimes what can happen is we get a lot of information that we want to kind of give to you as we kind of set the stage. And I know that in this environment with the way that we have to do things right now to be able to pump things out for people that are watching online or listening later, sometimes it's hard to follow along with some of the verses. And we're going to bounce around a decent amount today. So my encouragement to you is as we go through these different passages, Maybe jot them down, type them into your notes app on your phone, whatever that may be, and go back and read through them a little bit later. Because some of these passages that I'm going to go through, we could stop and do a whole sermon series on that passage, okay? So just letting you know that. So maybe this week you track back through and just read them through, but grab a note real quick and just kind of jot them down and walk back through them, all right? Are we ready to go today? We good to go? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, we're so thankful that we get to... Uh, still be together. We can be somewhere that is warm and dry, especially on a day like today. Thank you for the safety that you've given us this morning getting here. We pray for safety on the way home as well. We thank you that we can join together, sing, learn from your word, uh, that we can do that here in person. We can also do that online. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when we start this series today, we are going to start pretty close to the beginning of the Bible, but not quite. But let me just give us a little inside tip as we think about the very beginning. If you've read the beginning of Genesis before, it says what? In the beginning, God created. And if we were to go through the whole creation account, we would see that God created everything that we see around us. We would see that he created the water. He created the land. We would see that he created the birds. He created the fish. He created the animals, all the kind of stuff, right? We would see that he created all of it And at that point, when he got done creating all of it, he would look at it and he would say what? It is good. And here's what we know. We know that at the beginning of creation, in the beginning, there was perfection. Have you ever thought about that? In the beginning, there was perfection. God would get done his job every single day and go, what I just did was perfect. Have you ever thought that about your day? It's kind of hard to think that about our days sometimes, isn't it? But he thought that. And for the first five days, he went through and he created all of this and he saw that it was perfect. He saw that it was good and he set it up and it brought glory to him and everything was in its place. But he was missing something. And so we get to the sixth day and God says, I'm going to create something else. There was something that needed to be created. There was someone that needed to be created in order to make him feel like his creation was actually finished. And that's where we start 
our conversation today. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Like I said, we're not going to start right in verse 1. We're going to start in verse 26 and read through a couple of these verses together. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. All right, let's pause there for a minute and just talk through a couple of things we just saw, because there's, there's a lot there in those two verses, if you haven't just camped there for a minute before, right? God says in 26, let us make human beings in our image. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, that can seem a little funny. Because God, we know, is a singular God that we worship, at least the God of the Bible, singular God, but yet there's this our word, right? So what is that about? Well, it's one of those things about God we don't quite understand, and every time we try and put it together with a different idea or illustration, it kind of falls apart. But we know that God has three persons in his one being. And so what this is telling us is every part of God or every person of God Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was involved in the creating of humans. And so uniquely, each person of the Trinity has their fingerprints on us as the image of God, which again, just kind of breaks down. You go, what? <laughs> you have to think it through a little bit, right? And so he creates us, or he creates Adam and Eve, let's say it that way, and in his image. And then he says this phrase, to be like us. That one stood out to me again as I was studying this. Now we have to be careful, right? Because he's not saying humans are God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we're equal, but there's a certain representation in us. There was nothing else in creation that could represent him the way that humans could. That's where we start today. And then there's a note here in verse 27 that I want to point to really quick. It says male and female, he created them. So what's he saying? There's no difference in the image of God between male and female. Equal playing field, okay? Neither one is above the other. That's where it starts. And this is actually really interesting to read when we're thinking about Moses writing it thousands of years ago in a very male-dominant culture. And a lot of times we lean into the male word that we would say God created man, right? We don't say God created woman all the time. It's not the first thing out of our mouth. But I want to set that too as the stage, that there is an equality here that Moses gives us and that the Holy Spirit spoke through him as he wrote this. All right, so let's keep going in verse 28. Saying, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Verse 30. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Verse 31, then God looked over all he had made and when he saw and he saw that it was good and evening passed and morning came the sixth day. And so not only do we get to the last the first 5 days of creation and God says it is good, he takes that sixth day, he creates man and woman, and he says and it was good. And there was perfection. There was a perfect relationship between God and man. There was a perfect understanding of the creation. There was nothing wrong. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no pain. All of it was good. And that's where we start. And if you're like me, as you read this story, there's a question that then 
comes to mind because you would recognize that we are represented by Adam and Eve, right? We would be the humans today in this context. And so what does it actually mean to be an image bearer? What does it mean to be the person who is made in the image of God? And this gets a little tricky. I think it's hard for us sometimes to really understand this because if I was going to have an image of someone, I would probably need to take a picture, right? I could pull out my phone or I could pull out a real camera and I would take a picture. And if I took a picture of you, I could take that picture. I could share it on social media. I could take that picture. I could print it out and give it to you or I could have it made into a canvas and you could hang it on your wall, right? Or if you were really important, you could have a statue made of you. Anyone have a statue made of them? No, maybe like by your kids as like Play-Doh sometime or something. Mike's nodding at me. Yes, it's happened. So if you were really important, right, you would have a, a statue made of you. And what's the point of those things? It's to be a reminder, to be a reflection, to be something that reminds us of something, right? If you were to, I think this year, we printed out pictures of ourselves and our kids and we gave it to our family members because we would they would like to have them. They hang them on the wall and it makes them happy. And we have the same thing in our house. And so it's just a reminder. There's not much of an expectation for those things, but they are a reminder and a reflection of us. And what we get to be as image bearers is we get to be the physical representation of God on this earth, or we are God's physical representation on this earth. We get to be the image of God here. We get to be the reminder of who God is. We get to be the reminder of God, some of God's qualities. We get to be the reminder of who God called us to be. And so not only are we something that is an image that's a reminder, but there's actually expectations on us. There's actually truth that we can pick up from these first few verses in Genesis and understand what it actually means to be an image bearer. So the first thing that we want to catch is this. We have great value. And in the same light, all human life has great value. All of them. And this is part of the reason we wanted to start here. Because there's a lot of questions and a lot of things and a lot of topics in our culture that are influenced by our stance on this topic. And maybe as I'm saying this, your mind goes to one. Maybe it goes to abortion. And we would ask the question, is if all human life is valuable, is the human life before they're born the same as after? And we would say from the biblical perspective, absolutely. So we would stand on that, right? We would say that we would want to stand against abortion. We would want to get rid of that. Here's another one, racism. What does that look like? If we're saying every person is made in the image of God, every color, every tribe, every nation, right? Made in the image of God. Where do we stand on that? How does that influence? We would then also stand against racism, whatever that looks like. Maybe it would even go to something like the death penalty or some other areas where we have to think it through. And we can't, here's the thing, right? We can't actually just listen to politicians. You can't just listen to me either. You can't just listen to somebody else, somebody on the news, right? We all know we can't just listen to people on the news. We have to think this through. And so when we think about this topic, we have to look through this lens and say, what does God say about the value of people? He says, every person is valuable because I say they're valuable. And so when we get to these topics in culture, whatever it may be and wherever we are, we have to look at it through this lens. And we have to say, what does God say about this? Because we need to understand it. And here's the thing. The value of the image is determined by the creator. Why is the image of God, or why is the value determined by the creator? Well, we think about this. We know this. If I came to your house, if you said, I want a, a painting of me, right? 
I don't know, a portrait, right? I don't know if people really still do that. But if you wanted a picture of you painted, you would not call me to come to your house to paint that. I mean, you could. It wouldn't be good, right? But if I came and I painted, I took some watercolors, it would be probably nothing that looks like you. But if you called someone who was famous for painting, and they came in, and they were the one who painted you, well, now that painting has value. Why? Because of the creator of the painting. Because we recognize when someone is good at what they do, if someone is known for what they do, if someone is really recognized in our culture for that thing that they do, it gives them value. We also understand this when it comes to things like cars. Who gets to decide how much a car costs when it's brand new? The manufacturer, right? That's the sticker price. Now, you might be able to get a deal at the end of the year, all that kind of fun stuff, right? But they set the price. Why? Because they created it. So the creator gets to assign the value at the beginning. God gets to do the same thing. God is the one who gets to decide how much a life is worth. And so we have to operate out of that understanding. Here's the second thing that we have to understand. We have jobs to do. God gives us jobs to do in Genesis 1. Well, again, we're not just the picture. We're not just the statue. We don't get to just stand still and look pretty and go, we are the image of God, right? We actually have things we have to do. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to care for the other image bearers. When God looks at Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. What's that mean? Have kids, make more image bearers, fill the earth with it. And part of that job then is to take care of them, right? So there's an understanding there that we as image bearers have the responsibility to care for the other image bearers. We would look at other people, whether it's our kids or someone else's kids or our friends or our family or someone down the street, and we would look at them and we would say, because you are made in the image of God, I have a responsibility to you to treat you well, to care for you in the ways that you need. Here's the other thing it says. He says, care for the other creations. Care for the rest of what I have created, God says. You know, we could go a lot of different routes with this. We're not going to dive into this. But one of the things that always comes to my mind with this, and I don't know if you're in this place as well. When I was a kid, this was drilled into my mind. I don't know if it was like at school where they had a seminar or if it was a commercial. But if if I'm ever at your house, you're ever at mine, and we have like a six-pack of bottles of soda or something like that, what do those come in? They come in those six-ring things, right? The plastic rings, okay? What are you supposed to do with those things when you throw them away? You're supposed to cut them. I can't not do that. Like if I was at your house and you pulled six bottles of soda out and you threw that away, I'd probably go into the trash can and get scissors and cut them for you. Because it will, at some point, I don't know when it happened, in my brain, it was just locked in that if I don't do that, some manatee is going to be swimming around somewhere with this thing on his fin or his flipper, whatever manatees have, and it's going to suffer its whole life because I didn't cut the rings. Okay? I don't know when that started, but it's stuck in my head forever and it will never change probably. Now, that's a silly example, kind of. I hope not. I hope I've saved some manatees in my life. But the point is we care for the rest of creation. We do the things that we need to do to help take care of what God has created. Why? Not because we necessarily even see value in it, but because God saw value in it. Because we can look at Genesis and every day he stops, he says, and it was good and it was something that glorifies him. And so if it's something that glorifies God, I want to protect it. I want to care for it. I want to make sure that it is treated well because it's something that God would want treated well. And so we have these responsibilities, and, and the way that we live in the world around us as image bearers 
should reflect the way God has called us to live. It should reflect the, reflect the way God created us, and it should reflect the value that God has placed on us, on the people around us, and on the creation around us as well. I want to go briefly just to Psalm chapter 8 and read just a few verses there because I think this is a really cool spot in Scripture. In verse 3 of Psalm 8, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Let's pause for a minute. So the psalmist is writing, and he's, he's looking at stars, right? And he says, I don't know how I can look at stars and look at the world around me and why God would even say that I'm worth something. He was stunned by the world around him. But then let's go on to verses 5 and 6. You have made them, meaning man, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with, the, with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Here's how I want us to think about this, this today. Even when we are struck by the beauty of the world around us, we are the more remarkable and beautiful creation. Have you ever been in a moment like that? I can think back to when I was in high school. Uh, I think I was 16. We went to the Grand Canyon. I am not a morning person at all, okay? I'm a night person 100%, but I'm also, I, I suffer from FOMO, which is fear of missing out, okay? So we were at the Grand Canyon, and my dad said, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go watch the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. Do you want to get up with me? And everything inside of me said, no way, because I was 16, and I like to sleep till 1 in the afternoon if I could. But I said yes, because I said when am I going to be back at the Grand Canyon? Who knows, right? And I went and I just kind of sat against a rock and watched the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. By the way, if you've never done that, you should. But it was one of those moments where you just kind of sit back and you go, I am just nothing, right? When I look at the world around me and I see these beautiful sunsets or I see even just seeing the Grand Canyon or you just see certain things in the world and you go, man, I'm nothing. And what the psalmist says is, and yet... God has honored us and given us these responsibilities and called us to be the representation of him within his creation. And there is incredible value built into that. And when we get to this point, it makes us feel super, super good. And I hope that you feel the value that God has placed on you. But unfortunately, that's not where our story ends today. And one of the things we have to think about today and one of the things that we want to walk through is the fact that one day the perfection that we studied in the beginning of Genesis became imperfect. It's actually kind of amazing. We, we just read from Genesis, right? We were at the middle to end of chapter 1. And if we just fast, for, fast forward about a chapter and a half in Genesis, things change drastically. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And read a little bit of the story there. We're going to start in verse 1 and kind of just see what happens in the rest of the story. So in Genesis 3, we'll start in verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will not die, the serpent replied to the woman. 
God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so what happens just a chapter and a half later? Things change drastically. And if we were to read through the story, you'd see the ramifications of the actions that Adam and Eve took. By the way, Eve gets a bad rap on this. I think Adam was like literally standing right there while all of it happened. So we can't be not to blame, guys. So what are the, what are the ramifications of this choice? Well, they get kicked out of the garden and things change for them. They have to work. The perfection is gone. And one of the worst things that happened is that our perfect or their perfect relationship with God was marred by sin. The perfection that they lived in with the world around them and with God too, that perfect relationship was changed drastically because sin entered the picture. I want to go again. See, I told you we're going to bounce around a lot. We're going to go to Romans chapter one because when we get to Romans chapter one, what Paul does is he kind of spells out a little bit more of what this sin actually means. Because when we look at Genesis, I think a little bit, we know when we sin, we're not getting kicked out of any gardens, are we? Probably not, unless we like really make our wife mad or something. But we're probably not getting kicked out of any gardens. But what does it actually mean for us when we think about sin? And, and Paul kind of spells this out for us in Romans 1. So we're going to start in verse 18. Verse 18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so the people are without excuse. All right, let's pause for a second. What does Paul do? He actually goes back to the creation. And he says, what we understand about God, part of what we can understand about God is clear to us through creation. And we know this to be true. If we think about the creation and the way we understand the world around us, we can see God's beauty. We can see his intentions when he created. We can see that he is intricately involved in what's going on. We can see that he has created galaxies that are far beyond us. We can understand some things about God just simply by understanding what is going on around us. And so Paul says, we are without excuse. I think he knew a little bit, or the Spirit spoke to him a little bit, and we could look back at Adam and Eve and go, well, they really screwed up because they could talk to God, right? They had this perfect relationship with God. I don't know God, but what Paul's saying is, yes, you do. You can see the world around you. You can see and understand some of what God has taught us. Let's keep going in verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. All right, this one's a little bit more difficult. I'm going to try and help us understand. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has actually never, ever, ever encouraged humans to create an image of him? It's never happened. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't make any images and worship them. Stay away from it. 
Why? Because he's the invisible, immortal God. So making an image of him, and Paul says some people made images out of animals, they made images of people. We make an image and we worship him. That doesn't work. Because an inanimate object cannot represent an immortal God. It can't. So automatically that's a problem. But here's the danger that we fall into, and here's some of kind of the heart of sin, is then we, as the image bearers, can become the thing that is worshipped. Because we are the closest thing to an image of God. So what gets tied up, and this is kind of the depth of sin, this is what I was talking about, what gets tied up and what's hard to understand is then we are sometimes the thing that gets worshipped, or we look at someone else and we worship them Why? Because we can see some of the attributes of God in them and we elevate them. This is the difficulty in understanding some of this and some of the depth that we have to understand when we sin. In verse 24 then, it says, Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so we get how sin works a little bit. He says they traded what they knew about God and they worshiped something else. And this is the way sin has worked from the beginning. And we can kind of see this in the story with Eve, right? The first thing she does is she exchanges the truth of God for a lie. When the serpent shows up and starts having this conversation with her, by the way, that's a question we need to ask God about one day, right? At what point did snakes stop talking? Because that would make them even more scary, right? So the serpent shows up and starts to have this conversation with Eve, and she knows the truth. Even she says the truth. He shows up and says, did he really say you couldn't eat any of the trees? And she says, no, 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 no. We can eat all of them except for that one. She knows the truth. And yet he says, well, she tells him, right, God said we would die. And he says, nope, you won't die. God's just holding out on you. God's keeping something from you. God doesn't want you to know what he knows. God doesn't want you to be like him. God wants to keep you in your place, and he just wants to be better than you, and he wants to keep you out. And so she says, you know what? I want that. And she believed a lie. She traded the truth she knew about God. What was the truth she knew about God? She knew God loved her. She knew God was good. She knew the relationship was perfect. She knew all of these great things. And yet she decided to believe a serpent who was telling her that God was just keeping things from her, that he didn't maybe love her or care for her as much as she thought. And so she decided to follow a lie. And then the next part we talked about a little bit, but she decided to worship the created rather than the creator. In fact, what the passage told us was the reason she decided to take that bite was because she wanted that wisdom for herself. And again, Adam was right there. Adam wanted that wisdom for himself. And so they decided, hey, I'm going to elevate myself. I'm going to take something God said I, I wasn't allowed to have because I think it's a better idea for me to take that, elevate myself, put God to the side. And so they worshiped themselves rather than worshiping God. And we do this too. We know what God wants from us. If we've read the scriptures, if we've had conversations about the character of God, we know what's right and wrong. And yet there are times where we'll compromise that and we'll say, well, I should 
uh, make this move at work or put this person down or I should step into this relationship or at least take this next step in a relationship because this is what I want. This is what will make me feel good. This is what will move me to the correct place. And even though God might say this isn't a place I should go, I think if I just do this for a little bit of time, it will be better for me. I think I know better for me than God does. That's what we ultimately say. And when we do that, we elevate ourselves above what God knows, and we say we know better. And when that happens, we worship the Creator, we worship ourselves more than we worship God. And ultimately what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that as image bearers, we alone could sin, and we did. See, this is what set us apart, right? We were the set-apart ones from creation. We were the special ones. We were the ones that were supposed to reflect God more than any other part of the creation would. And what happened? Part of the danger in that was that we could choose to sin. And as the only creations that could sin, we did. The rest of creation can't do that, right? Your dog can't sin. Your goldfish can't sin. A tree can't sin. It's not possible. But we can. And we did. And if you were reading this passage from the very beginning, right? If you picked up Genesis and you had never read it before and you started to read and you read all of these three chapters and you get to the end and you see the devastation that sin brings brings us and brings Adam and Eve and brings the relationship between God and Adam and Eve, you logically, I think you would come to a question and you would ask the question, did this sin cause them to then lose their ability to be image bearers? Is this such a devastating blow to them that now they don't hold the same favor that God had given them previously? And the answer, if you've read the story, obviously is no. Thankfully, sin did not have that influence on us. In fact, sin made us imperfect, but it could not remove our ability to be image bearers. It made us imperfect. It changed the relationship that we had with God. But it couldn't take away his image. Because sin can't change God. And so we still get to be image bearers. And I said earlier that the value of the image is determined by the creator. But here's the second part. And the value the creation holds in the creator's eyes. What do I mean by that? Well, it means... What is the creator willing to do to hold the value of the creation? Well, we know the answer to that. The answer to that is that he was willing to come and die for us. And so even though we screwed it up, right? I'll say we, it was Adam and Eve. We screw it up all the time, right? We all sin. And so even though we ruined the relationship, God, because he valued us so much, was unwilling to let us go after we sinned. He could have just said, Forget it. I'm starting over. You guys blew it. I gave you one rule. You couldn't follow it. You ruined the relationship. Now you guys are out as image bearers. I'll create something better. But instead he says, no, this was the, the creation that I wanted. This was the creation that was good. This was my representation of me. And I'm not willing to let you guys go. So he continued to place value on us by stepping in and saying, I will be the rescuer even though you guys are the ones who messed it up. The last verse I want to go to today is 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I just want to read verse 18. It says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let, let's talk about this for a minute. If we were to read this whole passage, we would have gotten a little bit more understanding, but let me explain it a little bit. He talks about this idea of an unveiled face. And what Paul tells us is that when we sinned, there was like a veil that was put over us as the image of God. Okay? So think about that. There's kind of like, you can kind of see through it, it's not, but you can, it's distorted. It's not quite right. And so when sin was having reign over us and we didn't know Jesus, and if you, if you don't know Jesus, this is kind of where you're at. You're an image bearer, but this veil is kind of there. There's a divider between us and God. And what Paul says is when we decide to follow Jesus and we accept his sacrifice for us, that veil is then removed. And we then get to be that representation of God again without the tainting of sin because when God looks at us, he then sees Jesus who came as an image bearer. And so the really cool thing is that when we reflect Jesus, we reflect the image we were created to bear. See, sin changed the dynamic of the situation. It changed our relationship with God and God had to rework some things and and change the way that we understand it. But then when we are able to see Jesus as the image bearer, he came and then we can look at him and say, okay, how is an image bearer supposed to act? And when we act like him, when we reflect Jesus to other people, then we fulfill that purpose again. So with sin, when we, when we are still stuck with our sin, right, before we decide to follow Jesus, before we have that relationship with him, there's a veil that's there. And the image of God isn't gone but it's just not quite right. But when we decide to follow Jesus, that veil is gone. And we get to reflect him and we get to show him to the world around us and be that representation of him in the creation. You know, I really appreciate the graphics that we're using uh, for this series. You can see it uh, right here behind me and there's a bigger one that's out on the sign and you've probably seen us share it on social media. And I love it because there's many different races represented. There's many different colors represented. There's different hairstyles represented. There's even someone on here I think has Down syndrome, which is awesome. There's all different, there's a kaleidoscope of people, right? And my good friend Dan is the one who made this graphic and he works over at Gateway and we're so thankful that we get to tap into him as well. And he is just such a gifted artist. And Dan posted on Facebook earlier this week about how much this design meant to him. And so I just want to read this quote for you that he posted on Facebook. He said, The days that I feel inadequate and useless, when my inner critic won't leave me alone, I try to remember that I was created by a God that doesn't make mistakes, and he made me in his image. And in a world that tries to divide us, I try to remember that you were too. So how could I not love you? Do you have that inner critic that shows up and says, you're not good enough, that God wouldn't want you because of what you've done or not done? Have you been in a place or been involved in a situation where maybe someone culturally was trying to get you to look at someone else as not worth as much as you or as someone else? I think we all have. And when we get there, we have to be reminded of the value that God placed on us. Here's what I, where I kind of want us to start this conversation over the next six weeks. I want us to remember three things. First of all, your value is not defined by you. Your value is defined by your creator. So your value is not based on what you've done or not done. 
Your value is not based on the mistake you made yesterday or the one you'll make tomorrow. Your value is not based on where you're from or who your family was or how much money you have. All of that goes out the window. You have value because the God of the universe created you. And on the days where that's so difficult to remember, on the days where things like depression, anxiety creep in and they want to take over and that voice just comes up in your head and starts to tell you you're not worth it, go back to this. Remember what God says about you because what God says about you is more important than what anybody else says about you. Here's the second thing. My value is not defined by me. My value is defined by our creator. So here's the thing. When you look at me or we look at somebody else, we have to have the same perspective. We can't look at somebody else and go, oh, but that person made that mistake, so they're not as good as this person over here. Or I'm a little bit better than them. It doesn't work that way. If our value, your value, is defined by your creator, so is mine. And so when we look at other people, whether it's other people from other races or they have other conditions or they've made other life choices or they live on the other side of town, whatever that means. They have value just like you do and it's equal because the same God created all of us. So here's the third thing. When we devalue ourselves and others, we devalue the creator. So when we look at somebody else and we're tempted to think I'm more valuable than them or that person is more valuable than that person. We devalue the creator because what we're saying is what they created over here isn't as good as that creation over there. God doesn't say that. God says every creation that he makes, every person that he has made in his image is equal. And we have to start there. So this last thought, will we, we, have, a, we have a choice to make. Will we be part of the devastation or part of the restoration. There was a building that I used to drive by every once in a while when I lived in Coatesville. Um, and it had been abandoned for years. I mean, it was just falling apart. And almost every time I drove by, it just continued to fall apart. There was something else that was wrong. There was more graffiti on it. It was just left to go. Like it was just had been forgotten forever. And then I moved to Pottstown a few years ago, and I happened to drive by this building again one day after like a couple of years, and I almost drove off the road <laughs> because someone had taken it over, restored it, and put it back to what it was supposed to be, and it was this beautiful office building. I don't know how they did it, but it was beautiful. And we all know that there are times and situate, maybe you've, had, you've seen something just like that. We know that there are situations where devastation will just continue to be, and, and I'll say this, if we decide that we're not going to look at ourselves as the image of God, we're not going to commit to look at others as the image of God, and we're just going to continue to worship ourselves rather than the Creator, we continue to add to the devastation. We continue to tear people down. We continue to make people think that God doesn't love them the way that He does, and it's just devastation, devastation, devastation. Or we can choose to make up our minds on this topic. We can choose to see ourselves as the image of God. We can choose to see others as the image of God. And we can begin the restoration and help others unveil their faces so that they can also reflect the image of God. You know, I don't know what um, you need to do this week to kind of lock this in. Maybe you need to lock it in, in your perspective of yourself. And there's something that you need to do to remind yourself that you were made in the image of God. Maybe you're struggling with things like depression, anxiety, other things around that topic, and it gets to you. 
And that's a very real thing. I'm not putting that down. That's a very real thing that we want you to address and we want to help you with. But what do you need to do to remind you of what God says about you and not what other people or what the inner voices say about you? Maybe you need to call somebody. Say, hey, I'm feeling this way. Can you help me? Hey, can you check in every once in a while? Hey, can you text me and encourage me every once in a while? Do you write a note somewhere? Do you set a reminder on your phone? Something that's going to remind you what God says about you instead. The second question is, what do we need to do to lock this in in the way that we look at other people? You know, I think as image bearers, the goal should be that every time we have an interaction with somebody, every time we have a conversation with somebody, we build them up. Why? Because we would be reflecting the image of God to them and his opinion of them. You know when that gets really hard? At a customer service table. I've been the person on both sides of that. It's even hard to deal with you customers sometimes, okay? It gets difficult in those moments, doesn't it? To build somebody up in such a frustrating situation. And yet, what are we called to do? Treat them as the image of God. Treat them as a valuable person that Jesus loves. That's where we want to start this conversation over the next few weeks. Would you pray with me again this morning? God, we are so thankful for this truth. We are so thankful that you see us as your creation, that you love us, that you cherish us, that you've called us your own. And we ask that that truth would be evident in our lives this week, this year, as we have this conversation, that it would be something that locks into our hearts and minds and that we never forget. I pray for anyone that's struggling with those inner voices that tell them that they're not worth as much, that they would be so sure of the fact that you say they are so incredibly valuable and loved. And I pray for us as we interact with other people that we would love people as your image bearers and value them the way that you value them. In Jesus' name, amen.